Welcome to the Riverdale Writers' Room, a fan-made podcast where two girlfriends compete head-to-head to predict the series finale of Riverdale before it airs. Together, we will embark on a three-phase journey wherein we'll rewatch the series, write our own version of season seven, and then compare our creations to the real deal. Is Riverdale truly unpredictably campy? Or can we successfully hack into the psyche of the writers? Join us as we try to conjure the spirits within the real Riverdale writer's room. There is no single way to tell a story. You're each to write your own version of the ending. In whatever style you choose. Best story wins. Challenge accepted. Welcome. Welcome to the Riverdale writer's room. I'm Katie. I'm Chantal. And we're girlfriends. We are in love. We are gay. Yes. Now that that's been established, let's jump into season one of Riverdale. Season one's primary plot is the murder mystery of Jason Blossom. And then all of the relationships between our main characters, their parents, etc. are kind of subplots that support and often interact with each other and the primary plot. Right, exactly. Perfect. So we're just going to walk you through the major plot, and we will include a little bit of subplots here and there. Yes. And also main takeaways, um, things that we find important to reference in our versions of Season 7. Yes, exactly. We're mainly doing an analysis in order to write a good Season 7. Yes. (laughs) All right. So we start off with Jason Blossom. He has drowned on July 4th, allegedly. Uh, Cheryl has told everyone this, that when they were crossing Sweetwater River, going on a little row date, as twins do. And at the same time, uh, we sort of establish the comic classic dynamics, the love triangle between Archie, Veronica, Betty. Betty loves Archie. Archie does not love Betty. Veronica really attracted to Archie. Archie attracted to Veronica. However, ultimately, he's committed to his pedophilic teacher. Yes. Yes. It was a questionable choice. Um, But yes, Archie is indeed romantically involved with Miss Grundy, his music teacher. Um, Hence his passion for music and his sudden Troy Boltonification. Right, and that's pretty much what Archie's dealing with for most of the season. This brings Archie's body count to one. There we go. There we go. We move on. We get an autopsy report. Jason was frozen and then thrown into the river. And more importantly, he was shot and died a week after July 4th, which means Cheryl is a liar. Cheryl is a liar. And um, so they bring her in for questioning to be like, kid, why'd you lie? (laughs) (laughs) So then we reveal she was trying to help him escape. This complicates Jason's death. It establishes it as officially a murder investigation, which sparks Betty and Jughead to revive the blue and gold. He gets the first cover story, which is uncovering why Cheryl lied. What actually happened at Sleetwater on July 4th. And also, that moment where they're talking about reviving is very significant. It's uh, the first time that Betty says the word juggy in reference to Jughead. Okay. All right. She's moved on. She's moved on to Jughead. 
the reason Jughead is in this, been invited to be a part of this uh, newspaper, school newspaper, is because he's writing a book about the murder of Jason Blossom. Yes. He uh, is Riverdale High's resident writer. Yes, and he's also Riverdale's resident writer. He's always narrating. He's always on his little laptop typing away. And so this is what really kind of sets Betty and Jughead in motion to investigate together. Uh, so Jughead goes to, co- to confront um, Dilton. Which happens to be at the Taste of Riverdale, an event that's like a cheese and wine tasting sort of a thing, um, hosted by Mayor McCoy, during which Alice is simultaneously trying to investigate the murder of Jason Blossom, except she has a lot less tact than her child and her boyfriend, or future boyfriend. She starts just approaching everyone and is like, is it true that you're a bitch and you might have killed your son? Is it true, Mayor McCoy, that you're shady as fuck? <laughs> um, and she's just being very dramatic, which leads her to being slapped in the face by Penelope Blossom, winning her my Head Bitch in Chaos Award. H-B-I-C, Head Bitch in Chaos. Alice, to me, was the HBIC of the season, cemented in this moment where she goes to this event where the whole town is gathered, and she's like, I'm going to see if I can't get some information and call people out for their affairs, their divorce, possibly murdering their kid, accepting bribes. I'm just going to throw blame onto the town. That's very powerful that that cemented HBIC so early for you. I was like, wow, I don't remember Alice being characterized this way. And it was so powerful that she had to get my HBIC award. (laughs) Every time she's on screen, basically, she is being a drama queen, stirring the pot, trying to get as much information from everyone as possible. And so she's my HBIC. All right, great. So we find out when Jughead does confront Dilton, Dilton initially denies having to do anything with being there on July 4th. But later, one of his defected scouts tells Jughead that Dilton was the one who shot the gun on July 4th. He was telling them how to use guns because he is a hardcore survivalist. Moving right along, we have uh, the episode, which is honestly plot-wise kind of a throwaway, but I think is significant for a certain moment within it. So this is the episode where Veronica goes on a date with Chuck Clayton. He is a jock on the football team. He is a player. He uh, basically slut shames Veronica afterwards, saying that she gave him a sticky maple, whatever that means. Um, And we kind of like expose the football team for having a long history of doing this. Not that important. But what is important (laughs) is um, they find the scorebook. They see that... Jason uh, wrote Polly's name in there. Basically, Betty wants vengeance for Polly. She takes Chuck Clayton aside, she flirts with him, invites him over to Ethel's house, which is a bit weird. Ethel's parents are away for the weekend, she's letting them use their pool and their hot tub. And then Chuck Clayton shows up, Veronica's also there, and 
he's like, whoa, Veronica, why are you here? And then there's kind of an implied threesome. And then he says, where's Betty? And Betty comes in in her dark cabaret wig. (laughs) And she says, Betty couldn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) She sent me instead. Yes. And then we have the dark Betty is born. He's being drugged, probably. Probably. She's giving him some kind of like muscle. I think she said it was a muscle relaxer. Okay. Mixed with alcohol. All right, and then she sexy handcuffs him in the hot tub. (laughs) And then she does a 180. She turns the hot tub all the way up. (laughs) They get a confession on camera for Veronica about him lying about the sticky maple. Betty is really grilling him for an apology for what he did to Polly. And then she kind of embodies Polly for a moment. Mm -hmm. She says, Jason, apologize for what you did to me. She's kind of by proxy having a weird vengeance for Jason, who was already dead. And then as Betty puts her high heel on top of Chuck Clayton's head, trying to drown him in this hot tub and pours maple syrup all over him, that was my KO moment. K.O. Completely took me out really killed me personally (laughs) the birth of dark betty as we know it we have that uh the drive-in is being shut down and being purchased by an anonymous buyer but we know to be the lodges because we see hermione dealing with the serpent who is mysterious at this point right and we find out that the reason Jughead is so adamant about saving the drive-in isn't because he loves movies or that it's like a special place to him it's kind of that he's living there the reason this happens of course is because the lodges are bribing the mayor with Mm -hmm. uh generous campaign donations very corrupt those lodges oh and this is the episode also where we get the grundy confrontation right? right so in the background we had um betty and veronica doing a lot of investigation they find out miss grundy is lying about who she is but alice finds betty's diary with all of this information and what does alice do at the drive-in she knock knock knocks on fred andrew's window of his car where hermione lodge is also sitting and they're flirting watching the movie not really watching the movie and she says, sorry to interrupt your adultery, Fred. <laughs> um, and then she pulls Fred away to um, the music room. Once again, she's being very involved in other people's lives, causing the drama. And then they go into the music room, confront uh, Miss Grundy and Archie, who are in there together, but they compromise. Miss Grundy has to move. She has to leave town, pack up and go. So she moves over to Greendale. Fred's a really sweet dad about this whole thing. He's very supportive of Archie. He's like, man, you were being manipulated, but it's not your fault. It's okay. I'm here for you. Yeah, it's very interesting. I remember when I was watching this, being really put off by this teacher-student relationship. But watching it back, I do see that a lot of the characters are very sympathetic toward Archie, like kind of implying that he's being manipulated and Archie... Archie is the one that just doesn't really see it. I remember it at first being presented as like, oh, he's so lucky for having like a relationship with this teacher, the hot, sexy teacher, which is like 
mentioned at first, like, before anyone knows, though, what's actually going on, um, like, Fred said something like, oh, they didn't make teachers like that in my day, you know? Yes, and I think Reggie also in the first episode, uh, like, smacks Archie's ass or something, and he's like, hey, you tap any cougar ass this summer? (laughs) But that's before anybody knows. But once it's revealed, everyone's just like, oh... Archie. <laughs> Archie. Archie. <laughs> Baby, that's not okay. <laughs> All right. And then the last detail we get from this, which is episode four, which is a pretty dense one plot wise, mm-hmm. is we have, um, we find out that Fred fired FP, which is why Jughead is homeless and why FP has fallen off the wagon into alcoholic despair. And then we have that the mysterious serpent that Hermione met with at the drive-in is FP, Jughead's dad. All right, so episode five is where we move on. We It's Jason's memorial. We find out that the Blossoms have invited everyone in town who they think is a suspect. They're thinking of it as a secondary murder investigation. Mm-hmm. Cheryl's been kind of told she's not allowed to do a eulogy at the memorial because she's going to embarrass the family. Mm-hmm. We see Cheryl sleeping in Jason's bed. Um, she wakes up from a nightmare and Penelope is standing in the doorway um, being like, this is why you shouldn't be sleeping in here. And to me, that was like the first seed that was planted of the blossoms being witchy, being dark, having some sort of like occult magic connection. And then at the memorial, Cheryl walks down the aisle all dressed in white. The very same outfit that she went to the river in. Yes, the last outfit she saw Jason in. She has a very sad speech about Jason. Penelope is very embarrassed by this, Cheryl's mom, and she ends the memorial. She drags everyone to the reception. Meanwhile... Jughead and Betty use this opportunity to go sneaking through Jason's belongings. We have our first jump scare of the entire show, <laughs> which is Nana Rose rolling from the corner behind the door in her little wheelchair. <laughs> and she looks at Betty and she thinks Betty is Polly because Nana Rose has cataracts. And she's like, why aren't you wearing the ring, my dear? <laughs> and we, we get this reveal that Nana Rose gifted Jason the family blossom ring to give to Polly. So there was an engagement. Mm-hmm. This is suspicious because we thought Polly was taken away for mental health reasons. Because that they of kind a of, breakup. Because of a breakup. We thought that they were not together. It's also significant because it's kind of the first time that Nana Blossom is sort of presented as like the senile old figure. Like she's this old woman who like has like she's like not fully there. But really it's just that she can't see because she's half blind and has cataracts. We can see later, like, especially in season two, I feel like there's like a lot of stuff with Penelope trying to like take control of the Blossom estate. Um and Nana Blossom is kind of in the way of that. And so she's changing, like, she's just presenting Nana Blossom to the public as, like, this senile old woman who is, like, incapable of a coherent thought. And this is the first time that we see any evidence to suggest that. However, Cheryl knows the truth. She is just blind. Yeah, it is interesting. My first watch through, I did just kind of absorb that Nana Rose must just be senile. Yeah. And we find out that's not necessarily the case. 
Hermione gets a snake delivered to her at her job at Pox. She's mm-hmm. a waitress because she's poor now, apparently. I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that. Uh, she calls Fred. Fred's kind of like her old friend that she leans on for support. She asked him for a job earlier. He said no because her husband was literally in jail for embezzlement. He offers her a bookkeeping job later because he feels bad about the snake incident. Mm-hmm. Hermione specifically says that she owes money to the serpents. Fred is like, how much? Hermione mm-hmm. says, don't worry about it. You're right. <laughs> So that's why Fred gives her this job, is to help her get some money to pay off her debts. Mm-hmm. We have Jughead and Betty realize that the sheriff files that were stolen during the drive-in, uh, it had to be someone who wasn't there. Hal wasn't at the drive-in. Hal, Betty's dad. Uh, so now he's a suspect. Um, they have also a tense moment at the memorial between Hal and Clifford. There's some drama there. Between mm-hmm. the Cooper and Blossoms. This is not the first moment we're seeing of it. Earlier, um, Alice said that the Blossoms were pure evil. They probably, she was like, I wouldn't be surprised if they murdered Jason as some sort of sacrifice to the gods or something, to their to their demons or whatever. We already know at this point, um, because of what happened in like season one or two or something, or episode one or two, Hal mentions that Cheryl's great-grandfather murdered Betty's great-grandfather um so we know that there's like some family feud between the two of the Blossoms and the Cliff and the Coopers that's been existing for a couple of generations now so that gives Hal motive and then when they realize that he wasn't at the drive-in he must have been the one who stole the files they put him up on their murder board as a suspect all right and we also have veronica finding out about the fred and hermione affair her mom and archie's dad a little bit awk considering that veronica and archie have tension themselves Mm -hmm. this is kind of the first example of children and parents both kind of being into the same family line kind of like a parallel yeah Almost incest, not quite. But because of the Nana Rose family ring reveal, Betty does some snooping. She finds a checkbook in Alice's purse. She finds records of her paying the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. That's suspicious. They they go check it out. It's a home for troubled youth. Polly is there. They go visit Polly. Reveal that Polly is pregnant. And we find out that she doesn't know what happened to Jason, even though allegedly Alice told her already. Mm-hmm. Or so Betty believes. Polly freaks out upon hearing that Jason is dead and that he was murdered, no less. And then the sisters come and take her away. Polly's like, or Betty's like, I'll get you out of here, I promise. And it's such a heated moment and so intense that she doesn't realize until later that Polly mentioned a getaway car, that they were packed up and they were just about to leave when Polly was taken to the sisters for being pregnant. Where, where were they going to run away to? They were going to run away to the farm. The farm. That's important. That's a tool that will help us later, listeners. <laughs> it was also um, on the Lonely Highway, right? Which is... She said something similar to the lonely highway i'm pretty Um, sure it was the lonely highway um she says the lost highway i'm considering that the same thing it could be that it was the lost highway at this point in time and seven years later it had turned into like a prostituting 
highway mm-hmm. for truckers, and that's why it's the lonely highway. Right. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's the future. <laughs> All right, and let's see. Meanwhile, we have Hermione forging Veronica's signature to give Ar- Archie's dad a um, construction bid for money because he's broke. Basically, Hermione wants to give the construction job that Hiram needs done to Archie's dad. Uh, Veronica doesn't want to do this because she does not like that Hermione and Fred are having an affair. She thinks it's a betrayal to her dad. She refuses to sign and Hermione forges the signature. And then back to the main murder mystery plot. Jughead keeps sneaking in and out, taking Betty in and out of her house um, secretly um, for investigation purposes. He goes in for the kiss. This is important. And then just before their lips touch, like they get so close, they both start leaning in. She pulls away and she's like, the car. There's a car on the lonely highway. We've got to go find it. And so they sneak out for that. And they take pictures. They go show Sheriff Keller. When Sheriff Keller goes back, the car is on fire. All the evidence is destroyed. Um, And then we see a shot of the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. They go back to rescue her. Um, But she has escaped. She has jumped out the window, broken through glass and everything. (laughs) A classic defenestration. The first of many in the show. (laughs) Yes, you're right. It's not even the last one. No. (laughs) It's the first and I think the only non-fatal defenestration. Probably, yes. (laughs) Probably. We, We will see as we go. And then the next episode begins with a nightmare. This, like, idealized 1950s version of Betty's house. The whole gang is there, dressed in their comic outfits. It's Jughead's nightmare. We find out Archie turns around and he's like, why did you stab me in the back? And Jughead's holding knives. I interpreted this as guilt for being interested in Betty, but it could be any number of things. He also told Betty about Miss Grundy behind Archie's back, his true fear is like being lonely and alone not having his friends i don't know you're right it is it is pretty unclear exactly and the reason it's unclear is because we don't really know what the fuck is going on with archie right now right he pretty much in season one archie feels like a side character writing out (laughs) all of this plot he's very much on the sidelines he is not the protagonist that uh we believed him to be Right. In hindsight, he is really secondary to Jughead. He really is. Did we mention that after Grundy, he kind of is with Valerie? Well, that's his second body count. Um, It's revealed at the beginning of this episode as well that Jughead has moved on from living at the drive-in to... Wait, 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 wait. I have things to say about Jughead's nightmare. Oh, please. (laughs) Please, say more. Okay. So, Jughead's Nightmare. I don't think it's as important, the content of it, as the style. So, this is a peek inside of Jughead's mind. Jughead's mind is comics. Interesting. Remember in season season 6, we have Percival going through people's minds and Jughead going through people's minds, and everyone's mind is a comic. Hmm. So... Something about this comic universe makes me feel like it's within all of their consciousness. 
Um, I've been watching out for comic scenes. I haven't found any in season two, but I'm sure there are more. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are more Nightmare 50 sequences, and I feel like this might be an Easter egg for season seven. Maybe they are all in their minds or some other Mm. kind of universe. That's especially interesting when you consider the River Vale universe Mm -hmm. existing in Riverdale through the comics. Yes. The third Jughead who's in the bunker is writing River Vale. And the Jughead in River Vale is writing comics that is affecting Riverdale. And Riverdale can go through portals into River Vale. So that's making me think that maybe it was all a dream. <laughs> maybe all of this is just happening inside the brain of Jughead. Would they do that? Also, remember when Jughead dies and he goes to like the great pops in the sky? Yeah. That's like his sweet hereafter. He's in that outfit. And yeah. it's specifically, he's surrounded by a bunch of comics, which is not the normal pops. Right. It's yes. not just a diner. Yes. So something to consider there. And like Midge is there in her like outfits and stuff. Everyone's there in their outfits. Mm-hmm. That's something to think about. I'll keep an eye out for those things in the next seasons. So moving on, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, right after the nightmare, um, it's revealed Jughead is living in the closet, at the janitor's closet at school. He roasts Kevin's dad for being corrupt, says that, no offense, Kevin, but your dad answers to a higher authority than God, the Blossoms. Really early on, we see Sheriff Keller's incompetence. Oh, yeah. And he's always incompetent. Even when he's supposedly, like, doing his job well, he's still behind. He's, like, three steps behind everybody else. It's always Betty calling him. Yeah. <laughs> it's always Betty calling him. And it's, oh, it's always Betty has figured it out, and now she needs someone to be arrested. Yeah. It's like, she needs to be on his payroll. She does. She does. <laughs> she's doing more, she's putting in the hours <laughs> more so than he is. But anyway, then Veronica finds out about Hermione forging her signature. She starts spending excessively. Um, goes out to the club and she says that they're like a mongoose and a cobra. They feign, they parry. There's like a quote in there somewhere. But anyway, she refers to her and Hermione as a mongoose and a cobra as they like go through this every time they they have drama together. They, they solve it by like fighting via money. And then Archie asks Jughead about him and Betty because there are like some awkward moments in the student lounges are all talking they're nothing yet after school he like as he's Jughead is walking Betty home he refers to them as an us but it's not an official us they're like we're unlabeled but there's something they start talking about that but Betty keeps doing this thing every time she's with Jughead in the earlier episodes where she like sort of deflects she's just like I'm not ready to deal with this and so she starts talking about Polly she Polly is missing all this while she's like oh my god I think I know where Polly is then she kisses Jughead and runs home so that's that's something interesting that I noticed about the relationship is that it's very like unofficial undiscussed at first Betty's like not ready to address it she's kind of the one like Jughead's like I really like you can we like date maybe I know Archie is your first crush but and he's my best buddy but I like you. Can we kiss? And Betty's like, 
Oh, oh my god, my sister just broke out of the mental hospital. I gotta find her first. Sorry. <laughs> she just keeps like avoiding. She's <laughs> a bigger fish to fry. Yeah, she's like, uh, I'm, I'm too busy for that right now. <laughs> um, and I just think it's really cute that in season one we see a lot of like these tender, like really teenage moments between the characters that doesn't happen as much later on in the show and so I just like pointing them out because I miss them I think they're really sweet and I like it a lot when we see them really acting like teenagers um so anyway after they kiss and run home Betty finds Polly in the attic of their house and they're talking about the options so after Betty finds Polly we cut to a scene of Jughead Archie Fred and FP having dinner at Pop's at the kids behest they're like our dads are fighting and they used to be best friends let's get them back together it's really tense fred tries to pay for everybody but fp's like no you fired me i have money i insist and it's like a weird like macho need to prove his financial stability to fred despite being fired by him it's like a power dynamic and then it's later revealed fred tells archie that fp was stealing money from the business from Andrew's construction things get increasingly more challenging for Fred because Clifford buys Fred's crew out and then so Archie and his teenage friends start doing construction after school for Fred breaking ground on the uh, Sodale drive-in project and they still don't know that it's Hiram Lodge who's behind that project moving right along Jughead gets taken into custody for questioning by Sheriff Keller. Sheriff Keller doesn't have a ton of evidence. I believe something he brings up is Jughead trying to burn down Riverdale Elementary (laughs) as a kid. He talks about Jughead being bullied a lot. Jughead has a great line here that's like, yeah, my name's Jughead. And then I think Betty and Jughead are trying to get a hold of FP to come and help him. Mm And FP claims that his phone died. He was probably asleep or drunk or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archie's dad, Fred, is the one who ultimately helps out. He shows up. He gets Jughead out by changing some time cards, saying that Jughead was working with him at the time of the murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, very sweet of him. Yeah. And then you have this tension between... Fred and FP again about what where Jughead should go. Archie and Fred invite Jughead to live with them. FP, of course, wants Jughead at his house, but um, ultimately Jughead does choose to go with Fred and Archie, right? FP says something about just needing some time to get his act together. Next day at school, Veronica refers to Jughead as Betty's boyfriend while they're in the student lounge because they're never in class. And that's tense, that's awkward. Veronica's clearly trying to make the situation as normal as possible so that everyone can move on and that she can start dating Archie. It's very obvious. She's still the outsider, I feel like, in season one. So she's trying to, like... I I viewed this as her trying to, like, force a situation where she's a part of it, trying to, like, set up Bughead so that Varchie can live and see the day, light of day. She's trying to set up that dichotomy. That couple versus their couple. And then they plan to throw Polly a baby shower at the Pembroke. That's ultimately where Polly ends up going. It's the the only safe third-party house for her to be in. She can't be at home. She can't go to Thornhill. Like, no one really is, like... There's really nowhere safe 
for Polly, except for the Pembroke. She's not going to get bothered there. So then they're like, oh, let's throw her baby shower. Both of the families can come. Blossoms and the Coopers can come and they can talk about things. This is where we find out that it's going to be twins that Polly's carrying. And we find out via Nana Blossoms which powers. She like swings a crystal over Polly's baby bump and she's like, oh, it's twins. So another hint at the occult. Which crystal direction do you think said twins? (laughs) I think the fact that it was swinging. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that it was swinging when she had swung it? Yes. (laughs) I don't know. She was like holding the crystal above her, like her belly, and then it was like swinging. I don't know if she swung it or if it was meant to have just started swinging. And if it would have gone one direction for girl and the other for a boy but because it was going both directions back and forth mm-hmm. maybe twins so then it's revealed that fp is tied to the serpents when archie goes to confront tall boy and like try to like get some information someone beat up moose while the teenagers were helping andrew's construction and they believed it to be a serpent or sheriff keller believed it to most likely be a serpent mad that their crew wasn't working on it or something, that they lost their jobs, whatever. So then Archie gets all mad and indignant and decides to take matters into his own hands. So he goes to the white worm with someone and they start like making a mess. And then FP comes out of the like the upstairs and he's like, hey, Archie's like, you called my dad? And FP's like, yeah, dude, you came in here recklessly to a bar trying to start a fight. Like, of course I'm going to call your dad. So Archie gets mad and reveals to everybody that FP is a serpent and that Jughead is tied to the serpents and that, like, through his dad. And so Jughead apologizes to Betty um, for keeping it from her at the baby shower. And she's just like, it's fine. I don't care. I'm just glad we have a new lead for the murder mystery. And then he later apologizes to Archie for the same thing. That's when we have FP telling Jughead and Betty that Jason um, did a drug delivery for him and that's where they like get the next step like oh that's why he had drugs in his car on the lonely highway. I mean they didn't know he had drugs in his car his car went up in flames. Well they they searched through his car before they, they didn't touch things though they said. They started to but then they were like oh fingerprints. They didn't find drugs. They did. What? They did. I swear to God. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove it to you. Okay. What are those? Drugs. Okay, fine. Wait, Jughead, put it down. This is evidence. This is See, all they're evidence. being watched. Okay, you've made your point. Okay. This whole car is a crime scene. So. <laughs> Drama. Drama? You told me I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> say you were lying i said you were wrong well i wasn't that either so okay (laughs) anyway um so they find the drugs in the car etc then fp tells jughead that jason delivered drugs for them and then we also find out that after the baby shower polly has decided to move in with the blossoms we don't know it at the time, but she decided to move in to get information from them, see if there was any way that she could find proof that they might have been behind Jason's murder. There's also, like, behind the scenes, there have been issues 
between Alice and Hal. They're having like marital problems, whatever. He logged her out of the register. He like changed the locks, the passcodes and everything because she threw a brick through the window. So he, he kicked her out basically. He fired her essentially. But then Jughead's like, hey, like bring your investigation to the blue and gold. Why don't you come right with us? After they find out that Polly is spying on the Blossoms, she's like, bring your knowledge. We'll, we'll work with, with Polly. We'll find out what actually happened. Yeah, so then we have the episode where Archie is kind of bribed into attending various Blossom family events. We kind of, through different scenes, sort of interpret that Archie is kind of seen as a replacement for Jason. The Blossoms are kind of a weird redhead supremacists of some sort. Yeah. He also looks like Jason, right? He's a ginger. He has the same Letterman jacket on all the time. They were both on the football team, et cetera, et cetera. Cheryl is, shows romantic interest in him. She kisses him once. Uh, she has an icon- iconic line here, right, about her uh, lipstick being maple flavored. My lipstick's maple red, by the way, in case you're wondering why it's so sweet. Yes, and the reason she's getting Archie to do all this stuff, despite him currently dating Valerie, is uh, she gives him fancy guitars. She has a promise from her family that they can get him into an exclusive summer camp for music. Uh, They're really trying to get him to replace Jason, Mm -hmm. essentially. There's this great line. Also, Cheryl comes up to the door. Archie's that answer. She says, you look extremely dilfy today. (laughs) And that's when she drops off the expensive guitar. Uh, Valerie ultimately dumps him because of this, because she recognizes that Archie is being bought. Yes. (laughs) And she questions his moral integrity. Rightfully so. Then um, another part of the subplot is Veronica finds out that Ethel's dad tried to commit suicide um, because of going broke. At the, after losing his job with Hiram. So Veronica feels like guilty over her dad's actions and the harm that he's brought to families of innocent people like Ethel's family. So she befriends Ethel. Um, she then tells Fred that Hiram is the anonymous buyer because his business is starting to suffer and she's like, wants to get back at Hermione. Fred wants 20%. Hermione and Fred break up. I think they just decide to remain business partners and Fred gets more money out of their transactional relationship because now he knows that Hiram is behind it. Then Archie tells Veronica that Hiram is in prison because of Clifford. So then Hiram becomes a suspect. Yes, and uh, we infer this because Clifford's family has been making payments to Hiram's family for 75 years. Mm-hmm. We don't know why. We never find out why. And in fact, later we find out that Hiram is kind of poor and coming from nothing and self-made. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea right. why this happens. Right. Oh, this is just kind of like a pointless ploy to put to make Hiram a suspect. Yes. The payment stopped like right before Jason died so that it would have seemed like retaliation from Hiram. Right. Uh, We have a great Veronica and Cheryl dance battle here. Very cringy, (laughs) very campy. Uh, Cheryl's dancing is all hairography. It's very terrible. She's not a dancer. I'm sorry, Madeline. (laughs) If you're listening, we love you both. (laughs) We're we're big fans. (laughs) We're big fans. It was basically to become the next HBIC of the Vixens. Veronica 
challenges her and she's upset about everything going on with her family life so she takes it out on cheryl then we have the best episode in the entire series which is jughead's birthday absolutely <laughs> this whole thing with the birthday is one of my favorite episodes of all time but jughead's birthday is kind of a secret his usual thing is he and archie go to the bijou for like a double feature of like an oldie horror movie or something because i think he's got an october birthday or something like that checks out well it's winter i believe in the show either way i really want to know what sign his character is um (laughs) maybe we needed to find that out later okay (laughs) um but then i feel like he's definitely a scorpio so maybe you're right like he's got to be a scorpio he's got some scorpio energy (laughs) he's not like a libra no like he's a scorpio (laughs) i feel like he's an october boy anyway it's his birthday (laughs) and <laughs> Archie tells Betty, betraying Jughead's confidence, he's so embarrassed about having a birthday. So she goes to see the movie with him, plans a surprise birthday party at Archie's house because Fred's out of town. He's really upset about this once they get to the house and finds everyone in their friend group there. Betty comes out around the corner from the kitchen. She walks through the dining room holding this monstrous looking cake decorated like a hamburger it's it gave me flashbacks to those commercials in the early 2000s on like nickelodeon and cartoon network of those like cake molds the dome and like they're like you can decorate it like a basketball um (laughs) it made me think of that (laughs) when we first saw it and she comes around singing Happy birthday, dear Juggy. And it's very um, cringy. It's giving Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday, dear president, Mr. President, or whatever. And that was my song of the season. It's that song of the season. <laughs> it really was something. Yes, as Jughead described it, haunting. Haunting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> haunting indeed we have a lot of great lines in this episode specifically Mm -hmm. at the very beginning fred explains to archie that he's going away to sort of finalize his divorce with his mom archie says why finalize things in such a final way now (laughs) and we also have uh the haunting comment we have fp showing up to this Jughead's party as the only adults. <laughs> Every it's literally like a high school kegger because Cheryl and Chuck teamed up to get revenge on Veronica and Betty, and so they brought kegs of beer. It's it literally becomes like a rager. Right. FP's the only adult. And and we get FP walking in on Joaquin the serpent and Kevin making out and being like <laughs> you can cut the tension here with a knife and, <laughs> and we get a bit of a reveal that Joaquin may know something mm-hmm. that FP and Joaquin are in cahoots about something right and we find out about this because as usual Alice is being the HB in chaos, um, watching from across the street in Betty's room, spying on the house with binoculars. She sees Joaquin and FP having a tense conversation in Archie's bedroom upstairs. And then she tells everyone about it later. So that's how we know. 
Yes. But I would like to say that my HBIC currently is the reason this rager is even happening. Oh. So I think I, I have a little bit more of a case. So this party is iconic. We get Jugheads. I'm weird. I'm a weirdo monologue. He's so mad at Betty. He they tries, almost break up. They almost break up. He tries to leave and walk out on her. Like, he tries to leave the whole party after having the last word. And then Cheryl cuts him off and is like, no, no, no. We're all sinners here. And then they play a game of, like, sin or secret or something like that. Sin or secret? Sin or secret. Interesting it was, use of words. Yes, and she literally says, we're all sinners here. Mm, that's, um, and that's so, an Easter egg. That is an Easter egg. Then they start revealing their secrets. Chuck's like, oh, um, what about Betty? Betty, you have a secret. And then he reveals dark Betty's details of like pouring maple syrup over his head and trying to drown him, becoming Polly, calling him Jason, etc. Jughead is still there because Cheryl would not let him leave. And in defense of Betty, he gets up and punches Chuck in the face. He ends up getting beat up because he's Jughead and he's always getting beat up. And like chaos ensues everyone starts fighting everyone fb's like hey i'm an adult get out of here party's over he kicks everyone out then he has a moment outside as everyone is leaving with alice who comes across the street like oh what's a serpent doing on the north side and he's like i could ask you the same and so that kind of reveals that alice was a serpent and or had connections with the serpents and grew up on the south side and then the next morning Jughead, who is still living with Archie, sees Veronica doing the walk of shame out the front door. He zips his lips and throws away the key. (laughs) He's like, I didn't see that. I really love Archie's perspective from this episode. You Mm -hmm. know, he's upset about the divorce. You can see him eyeing the liquor cabinet before the rager even starts <laughs> when he's just alone in the house. He's He considers washing away the pain with alcohol. I think he does. Perhaps he does. Because when it's, He does ultimately at the party, at least. He's at least drunk when Jughead arrives and it's just the small gang. He is? Yes, because oh. they're like in the kitchen and Jughead walks in on him and Veronica who also had a couple of drinks. Mm. And she's he's like... Archie, are you drunk? Oh, you're right. You're right. So Archie, slurring. So Archie is like drinking away his problems. Uh, Valerie's at the rager. He tries to get with her. She's like, "Ew, back off." <laughs> he has a whole crisis. He drunk calls his dad at one point, <laughs> and the next thing you know, he's like sharing all, all his trauma with Veronica, and they hook up for the first time right. officially. For sex with Veronica, this brings Archie's sexy body count to three. After this party, Veronica agrees to, you know, be a character witness to protect her mom because she gets a letter from Hiram threatening Hermione. Another father-child interaction. FP reads through Jughead's manuscript. They're kind of repairing their relationship after this party. FP was, like, apologizing to Jughead. He's like, I'm trying to get back on the wagon you know fix things i want your mom and jelly bean to come home etc so he's reading he read jughead's manuscript about the murder and then he has this conversation with jughead about who is guilty jughead's like i don't think it's a question of who done it more of good and evil um etc 
All right, so Polly kind of influences Cheryl to go looking through her mom's things to find things for the homecoming dance. Cheryl finds the ring in the in their parents' room. She confronts Penelope, her mom. Penelope claims that Jason threw it at them when he ran away and that he wanted to wash his hands of the family, essentially. And then Cheryl tells her parents that she flushed it, but she secretly keeps it. And we also have that Polly is looking around the different rooms, trying to look for evidence about what happened to Jason, especially now that this ring is found. Mm -hmm. Uh, She gets drugged by a milkshake made by (laughs) Penelope. And she wakes up. We find out that FP was arrested for the murder, which we'll get to in just a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right before that, FP and Jughead are having a little pre-dance dinner uh, with Alice and Betty, and it's kind of like an entrapment. Essentially, right. Alice is trying to get FP to confess anything he knows about the murder. It's a ploy. It's a ploy. And at, simultaneously, I believe she's in on this. Archie and Veronica are snooping through FP's trailer, mm-hmm. looking for any evidence. They don't find anything. But later that night, FP's arrested for something that was found in the trailer, the gun that killed Jason. But... This was not there originally. Mm-hmm. So we find out that uh, someone framed FP. Yeah, someone planted the evidence, interrupts the dance with him getting arrested. Veronica and Archie did all of this digging per Alice's request. Veronica wanted to know just to see if it was possible that her dad was involved. Really selfish reasons. She's like, I don't care if Jughead gets hurt. I need to know that my dad didn't do this (laughs) um (laughs) there's a cover of kids of america playing while all of this has happened and then they have like a confrontation jughead is really upset by the news of his friends breaking in to find any incriminating evidence against his dad um he's confronting his friends betty's like i swear i didn't know like my mom asked me to do this but i said no and told her to call it off i didn't know she continued to do it and jughead's like Betty Um, and he's mad at her about it Um, and so he runs away we don't know where Jughead is we know that he's trying to escape he's trying to go to Toledo he's trying to go anywhere that's not Riverdale Um, meanwhile FP is confessing to everything he's like in jail he's telling everything to Kevin's dad and then the next day at school Jughead gets slapped by Cheryl. Jughead's like, I'm sorry that my dad would do something like that. She slaps him. And then the school's like, maybe you should just not come back. And they like send (laughs) Jughead away. (laughs) As if any of this was his fault and he's not a victim. But okay. The school wouldn't (laughs) <laughs> the school would do some shitty stuff like that. This, um, the school is, really likes to just discriminate specifically against Southside residents. Yes, they do. They really do. The whole the whole town does. The but whole town, per- particularly the high school. Yeah, there is some dramatic moment with Hiram and Hermione. Something is revealed to Hermione, and she's really upset about it. But then Veronica is comforting her, and during this scene. Veronica's eyelash band is peeling up in the inner corner so dramatically that it's very clearly not attached. It's very clearly not normal. This was my KO moment of the season. (laughs) It took me out of the moment so much more than even when Jughead or when Archie says something smart. It's like I had so many moments where Archie is like, 
too smart for his character because we all know that Archie is an idiot and just like dumber than bricks. <laughs> like we know he's stupid. But there are so many moments where he says things that are smart. And this eyelash band <laughs> just knocked me straight out of the show so intensely. I was like, wait a minute. Do they not have makeup artists on set? Like what what went wrong here that the director wasn't like, Camilla, your your eyelash band is peeling up. It's a close-up shot of her face and her eyelash band is just like they're not gonna fix that anyway that was my ko moment moving on (laughs) after that Hal breaks into the cooper's house because he's kicked out with the stolen sheriff notes which he stole um and fp confessed to stealing them and then he reveals that same night that the coopers are actually former blossoms they share blossom blood they're like first cousins they're not first cousins, Second right? cousins? No, Clifford comes in and he's like, what? They're like third cousins? He kind of comes in with the defense of incest. Yeah. And so does Penelope. Penelope has a moment where she's like, what could be more blossom than these babies? Right. <laughs> really nasty. And the Coopers come by to drag Polly out of Thornhill because of this, essentially. They're worried about Polly's safety at this point. Right. Um, Clifford's line here, which I quoted because it was so dramatic. He says, will you just spare us your middle class morality? It's not like they were brother and sister. <laughs> still not good. Still, too closely still not good. related. <laughs> still too closely related to have babies. Um, so they take Polly away from this. After that, we cut to Jughead visiting FP in prison really trying to figure out like if he's guilty like what's going on at this point he knows at the very least he's lying about files that he stole he's he leaves and he's like my dad's innocent i know he's he's lying about something at least then the gang finds joaquin joaquin tells kevin as he's about to leave they can clear fp's name with jason's letterman jacket so they go and try to find it archie puts it on and betty's like patting the jacket and she finds the thumb drive right and then on the thumb drive we have the video evidence of clifford shooting his own son point blank right in the head right in the forehead yeah really brutal betty immediately calls cheryl cheryl says i understand she goes downstairs she's like you've done a bad thing daddy (laughs) and he runs off to the barn to hang himself and the police come the blossoms point the police in that direction that's where he hung himself we have the reveal that in the barn the maple syrup barrels are full of drugs we have a moment before this all happens where penelope is dragging cheryl out there because cheryl is asking so many questions about what what was going on why did jason leave what could he not stomach Mm -hmm. and she's like this is it this is all of it the maple syrup drown yourself in it why don't you mm-hmm. very dramatic and a little bit ironic even you reveal that fp cleaned up the murder he did freeze jason and threw him in the river that is confirmed and he did hold jason hostage he did jason was coming to him to do the drug deal he holds him hostage calls clifford clifford comes and shoots him fp's left with the mess to clean up and there's also a moment before this that's not important really except that clifford does kill someone else it's a serpent that was also involved with cleaning up yep and he frames hiram for that one so this brings clifford's 
less sexy body count to his murder body count, which is Mustang, the serpent, Jason, and then himself. Very, very interesting that FP was like, I'm going to get some money from this kid. And then Clifford's like, no, this is so embarrassing. I would rather just kill him. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, "Um, well, not only will you not get money, but you will be the primary suspect of a murder. How about that? (laughs) We we get the reveal that FP only confessed to the murder under duress. Clifford threatened Jughead's life, and he already killed Jason. We know he's capable of killing teenagers without remorse. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after this, the last episode, we see that Mayor McCoy is trying to spin this murder to protect the town's capital, trying to frame the serpents as the villain, the true source of all the evil, not the capitalist drug dealer Clifford Blossom. As a result of all of this, FP is still being held prisoner for obstruction of justice or obstruction of not justice obstruction of evidence and shit like that for lying under oath accessory to a murder yeah kind uh, of being involved tampering with evidence yes etc um as a result of this jughead is assigned a caseworker and has to go into foster care on the south side which means he has to leave riverdale high betty reveals another secret that she found out that she uncovered during all of this which is that she has a secret brother out there somewhere. They go and meet Jughead at Southside High. They get a text from Cheryl. She's saying like her goodbyes basically and tries to drown herself in Sweetwater River. They go and rescue her. And then Betty gives her speech at Town Hall saying that we're all Riverdale and we all have to do better. She's like, Jughead is Riverdale. I'm Riverdale. Archie's Riverdale. Veronica's Riverdale, etc. Things are starting to wrap up. Jughead and Betty are alone in the trailer because FP is still in prison. He tells Betty that he loves her. She tells him that he love she loves him back. The song Believer by Imagine Dragon starts. They are making out. He lifts her up onto the counter. It looks like they're about to fuck. Cut to Archie and Veronica in the Pembroke also making out about to fuck. Believer by Imagine, Dra- Imagine Dragons is going hard in the background. Bughead gets interrupted before they consummate um (laughs) and the serpents led by tall boy knock on the trailer jughead opens the door they're like the serpents got your back and then they hand him a jacket and he puts it on and it's this big scene cut back to archie and veronica they're undressing they get to have sex but betty and jughead get interrupted we cut to cheryl alone at thornhill she's safe archie saved her that brings archie's saving a life count to one (laughs) he has multiple throughout the show penelope comes in she is unenthusiastic she doesn't really give a fuck (laughs) about cheryl either way so cheryl gets revenge uh she carries a candelabra and she makes a statement about how they need to be baptized in fire for their Mm -hmm. sins or something and she dramatically drops it thornhill goes into flames and we cut to cheryl and penelope outside screaming at the mansion on fire this is what ultimately solidified cheryl as my hbic head bitch in chaos for the season hbic Head bitch in chaos. 
Not only is she the head bitch in charge of the vixen, she's the head bitch in chaos. She's out here making all these dramatic stuff about Jason before she even realizes he's actually dead. Mm -hmm. She does her own little investigations, trying to get close to Betty to find out what happened. She's out here losing dance battles (laughs) and going to the memorial in all white. She is constantly looking to be the center of attention. She even goes so far as to have romantic interest in Archie and try to like replace Jason with Archie. It's kind of like a misplaced attraction. Like, yeah, at this point, Cheryl knows she's gay. Am I wrong? No, I don't think so. She is so aware of gay issues. She, at the beginning calls out Kevin for trying to be a GBF. She says something about Veronica and Betty's kiss as, like, problematic. Like, she's so aware of things, she knows she's gay. You can't be that much of an ally. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if, if you're too much of an ally, you're gay. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> the very last scene, which is always in Riverdale, the last scene of the last episode, we're going to start with what's going on in next season. It's always a hiatus, it's always a cliffhanger, and this time it's a man in a black hood shooting Fred at Pops. Yep. And that's where we end season one. We literally end with a bang. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they sweetened it with like the sound of like a bang, like an echoing gunshot that echoes after it's faded to black. Okay, that was... The recap of season one. All right, let's go through our top takeaways. Okay. Um, what felt significant to you that we need to address? It felt significant that the driver of the plot is not the traditional protagonist. Mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed Archie had more of a role in this until we actually started writing out this outline. Yeah. And that's what really made it clearer to me. Not even watching season one made that clear. Yeah. They kind of like forced this idea of Archie being the main character to you, but the story doesn't actually show that. Right. It's like, it's based on the Archie comics, Mm -hmm. but that's not really what it's about. I guess he is maybe like the driver of like the romantic subplot. He's got the highest like romantic body counts. He's the biggest slut, basically. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I didn't realize either until we were like taking notes and you got to go through several subplots while I was still working on Jughead subplots. Like, he's the most involved in the drama. But I think that's because he is kind of like this prolific, all-knowing narrator figure. He's He makes it his job to be in the know and aware of everything. But also, his dad is directly re- involved in this murder mm-hmm. um, and the primary plot. So... He's got personal stakes involved. But also, he's also the narrator. He's also writing the story. Yeah. He also took a personal interest in it before he even knew that FP had any involvement whatsoever. Right. Which leads me to my other takeaway. From the very beginning, there is such a focus on good and evil and like the soul of Riverdale, which is the initial interest Jughead took in the murder. Riverdale is supposed to be the town with Pep, like this wholesome and good place then why is like a murder happening like why is someone faking their own death at first only to be discovered as actually murdered i didn't realize how heavy-handed this first season is with like the good versus evil dichotomy like they're even directly compared like betty versus veronica like 
Veronica helping out her dad is like an evil act, whereas Betty trying to help her sister is a good act. He even says, to me, I don't think it's the question of who done it. You know, I think the real question is whether Riverdale is a place of good or a place of darkness and evil. And FP says, or most things are both. And then even at the end of the season, Betty says, Jughead Jones is Riverdale, the very soul of Riverdale. Riverdale is at a crossroads. If we don't face who we are, what happened to Jason could happen again. Riverdale must be better. We must do better. There's been this conversation the whole time about good and evil. And Jughead's right at the heart of it as the main character, which is shocking. Yeah, uh, uh, the thing about that is, so as you said, we have these foils, Betty versus Veronica, Archie versus Jughead, good versus evil, right? Yeah. So on one hand, you have Archie is kind of the good version of Jughead. Jughead's kind of seen of the bad guy. But also simultaneously, we have Jughead also fighting for good things, fighting for political causes trying to do good things and we also have archie who is easily corrupted by evil yeah (laughs) which we'll see more of in season two yes and we also have veronica she is the mean rich girl she's bad but she's also trying to be good Mm -hmm. and we also have betty who's a good friendly girl next door but also with a darkness inside Mm -hmm. of her her serial killer genes (laughs) (laughs) well obviously we see a lot the coinage of the coining of the term dark betty we even see that Betty is holding a stuffed animal of an orange cat, (laughs) like her childhood cat, Caramel, which we find out later is important. Like, all of these things are starting to be embedded, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not all what it seems. Like you said, Veronica is supposed to be this bad, rich bitch, but she's trying to be a better person with more morality. And Archie is supposed to be this boy next door who's like, all things good. His Halloween character is like Pure Heart or something. Pure Heart the Powerful. Pure Heart the Powerful. And he is simply not pure of heart. <laughs> well, I think he's, he's pure of heart. He's maybe just not smart of mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which which leads him to do some non-pure things. So it's, it's a very interesting dichotomy and like these foils are really pronounced. They're established as the core of the show, I think. Right, and it's also reconciling all of this with true evil, like mm-hmm. Clifford being a murderer. Is that true evil? Right. Is, is there any true good? Exactly. And if so, where is it in Riverdale? Does it? Can it exist in Riverdale? Yes. Was there anything else that you found an important takeaway? So I talked a little bit on the other episode about how there are some abandoned Easter eggs in Mm -hmm. this season for Afterlife with Archie, the comic series the creator wrote where Archie is facing a zombie apocalypse in Riverdale. (laughs) Um, They originally wanted to do this at the end of season one um, instead of the Black Hood. Mm -hmm. So the Easter eggs we definitively have confirmed by Roberto are... Alice saging Betty's room and referencing pagan gods, um, which are a significant part of Afterlife with Archie. And we also have Cheryl's suicide scene when she's in the river. She sees uh, Jason with the bullet hole through his head. He looks very zombie-ish. And how do you kill a zombie? By a bullet through the head. Are there any other Easter eggs that you've noticed? Or, um, or do you see any potential Easter eggs that were also just abandoned? Maybe just Easter eggs that they chose after the fact, like the stuffed animal 
caramel stuff like that like nana rose's crystal maybe I think that one's too maybe I think that, that could be an easter egg and maybe even penelope like looking over cheryl and jason's bed like i told you not to sleep in here or else you'd have nightmares like obviously like hinting at the supernatural through the blossoms also alice said that this is occultism at its most ludicrous uh, with the crystal over polly's babies so i thought it was just them planting the seeds at what was going to already happen like much later with like the supernatural elements but it could have been an easter egg like maybe they wanted to harken back to these things that only some of the fans would recognize or maybe when they were trying to plan future seasons they went back and watched and they were like oh yeah we did that and then they were like okay let's just blame this future on that past you know because is caramel a comic character not that i know of i actually i think it is betty's cat in okay. one version of the comics it might be the little archie comics i'm not mm. sure well that could be something that they planned from the beginning or maybe that they just threw in there like the set design team like threw that in the room and then the actor ended up interacting with the cat on screen and then they were like oh we can use it okay something i also am questioning in afterlife with archie jason gets murdered by cheryl but he does still get murdered so that's pretty consistent with this we also also have polly being sent away we don't know where the comics just stop abruptly (laughs) (laughs) because the show started right yes so it's like what what was left in afterlife with archie that's now in riverdale is he still planning some stuff? We we had Jason's murder. Um, it's also kind of implied that something evil and dark is going on within Cheryl and Jason's relationship that we never address. Right. It's written off as twincest, um, <laughs> which is not really a writing off <laughs> at the end of the day. Specifically, everyone viewed Cheryl as like the tag along to her older brother, even though they were twins and the same age. Like. And like in the in the notebook, like there were things that Jason was doing with his life that Cheryl hadn't, Cheryl was not privy to, but she wanted to be involved in everything that he was doing. So it's like, what else could have been going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So season one, I would say overall is just about establishing certain dynamics. We get Varchi, we get Bughead, we get Hiram still being kind of a criminal, mm-hmm. especially with the mayor the collusion going on there there's like an implied bigger plan but we don't touch on it at all in season one Mm -hmm. we have no idea why he would want to buy a drive-in and build housing on it and why would that be evil (laughs) (laughs) he's just trying to (laughs) trying to fix a housing crisis man (laughs) that's all we know Mm -hmm. and then we have the establishing alice kind of being a parallel to polly all the parents are kind of parallels to their children right But if Alice is a parallel to Polly, that implies that Hal is a parallel to Betty. Yes, exactly. Which we get to in season two more. Exactly. And then we have FP's parallel to Jughead, gang leader. Jughead does later become an alcoholic. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) The cycle continues. Archie is a parallel Fred where they're kind of just do-gooders. They care about doing good more than anything else yeah and veronica is kind of i would say she's more of a parallel to hiram than hermione totally 
Hermione tries to make a parallel to Veronica in season one, but the way that they butt heads, the way that Veronica describes them as like a mongoose and a cobra, two different creatures that interact sometimes, like, and they're equally powerful, but in different ways, and they like do this little dance before they strike, to me really says a lot more that she's like Hiram. They, they're also competitive with each other, almost, over Hiram's affection later. Yeah. Which <laughs> I hope Weird. it's on next season. Yeah. Kevin and Sheriff Keller, also yes, parallels. they are also parallels. <laughs> That's where Kevin gets his tattletale. <laughs> yeah. He's also, like, you know, having sneaky affairs, mm-hmm. which we find out later the sheriff is also doing. And then he's also, like, kind of easily manipulated. The way that Sheriff Keller is like willing to do the bidding of the mayor. Kevin also ends up later being willing to do the bidding of others. Anything else? What What are your takeaways from season one that you will use season seven that oh, are going to be important? I made a note of three words, dichotomies, soul, and ego death. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say for my season seven comic book good songs destiny Mm. okay 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 (laughs) (laughs) so i can't wait to get to those i'm really excited to see what you're going to do with the comic books in season seven Mm -hmm. i probably have to now that roberto has confirmed (laughs) we're going back to the comic book realm want to be as accurate as possible all right I think that covers it. Yeah. Thank you for listening in. Make sure to tune in to the next episode where we discuss season two. Special thanks to Ben Chatwin for the iconic intro music. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Riverdale Writers Pod on all social media platforms. If you are at all involved with the production of Riverdale or just want to say hi, email us at RiverdaleWritersPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. TTFN!